Today I have 5 tips for better visual effects for your video games. Hey everyone, welcome to the 68th episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. I am your host, Zaccavelli. If you want to follow me on Twitter, that's at underscore Zaccavelli underscore, and tune in for Game Dev live streams, that's just twitch.tv slash Zaccavelli underscore. We also have an open community Discord. You can find a link to that in the show notes. If you're wondering why you might join something like our community Discord, it's a good place to communicate with other beginner to intermediate game devs, as well as join in on certain challenges and competitions. One we're running right now is the GDFG Level Design Challenge, where we have built our own level editor, and it's totally free to use. You can make a level and submit it, and other people will play it, and yeah, it's sort of a level design competition, and all that is being run through our Discord. It's just one example of the many cool things we do in there. Speaking of cool things we do in the Discord, let's move on over to the Game Dev Challenge. The Game Dev Challenge is the part of the show where I provide a prompt to the listeners to give them a 15 to 30 minute exercise to reinforce the themes of the show. They then put their submissions on the community Discord and we vote on which one we think was our favorite. And the winner is read live on the show. Last episode was an episode where the topic was about cameras. And for the Game Dev Challenge for that episode, I asked you to pick a game and change its camera perspective and tell us why the new change in perspective improves or worsens the experience. We got a bunch of interesting submissions for this, but as you know, there can only be one winner. So the winner of the episode 67 Game Dev Challenge is... Bastis. Bastis's post reads as follows. First off, it starts with a, in quotation marks, it says, even bad ideas can be interesting. Bastis's post then continues, as soon as I saw the challenge prompt, I remembered an old idea of mine, varying the perspective in a 2D platformer. Side view is, of course, the best option for 2D platformers. You can easily see where your character is in the environment, which helps with timing jumps and landings. You can also see a fair bit around the player in four directions, so a large piece of the puzzle is visible, which helps the player's decision-making. But there are some things that other perspectives could bring to the table. If the player moves very fast, there's little time to react when an obstacle comes onto screen. With a first-person view or a third-person over-the-shoulder view, the player could see these obstacles earlier. The sensation of speed would also increase as the ground and perhaps the low ceiling moves by quickly. I think by that, Bastis just means um, when you're in first person or third person, it's a little bit easier to get a sense of speed uh, because, like they said, the ground moves past the camera uh, in a way that kind of makes it feel faster than it maybe is. Anyways, we continue. I also believe that the immersion and intensity increases in the first and third person over the shoulder view. You also get to experience the world from a different angle. To test this out, I made a quick rough and dirty prototype, and then Bastis links the prototype. Testing showed that in almost all cases, timing jumps and everything that involves precision is much more difficult and frustrating if you switch perspectives. 
but if you crank up the speed, it can be easier to have the time to react to a low precision jump in an alternative perspective. If I were to make a game out of this, I, I won't. <laughs> in quotes they say, I won't. It's a terrible idea. It would probably be best to alternate between high precision platforming and side view and high speed quick reaction parts in the levels. You can probably look at endless runners for inspiration, tricks, and solutions. Perhaps some sort of story elements driving the parts of the game are best experienced in first-person view, for example. I think for this one we have to go back to the quote that Bastis started with, um, something along the lines of, even bad ideas can be interesting. I think a platformer where the camera perspective changes has a lot of flaws, and to Bastis's credit, Bastis pointed out most of them. I mean, there's a reason why 2D platformers are done from the 2D side perspective, and Bastis rightly pointed them out. It's just easier to see where you're going to jump, and on top of that, uh, you know, you have some other advantages too, like getting a better sense for the layout of the platforms. That can be a lot harder from a first-person or third-person perspective, because you don't have as much of an all-encompassing view, and a lot of times in the first-person and third-person perspective, you aren't looking where your feet are. So platforming can be a little bit more challenging and a little bit more clunky from that perspective. One thing that Bastis doesn't mention is, even with this idea, let's say you use the right camera angles in the perfect scenarios, um, the transition between the two would be extremely jarring for the character, extremely jarring for the player. I mean, you'd have to come up with some kind of way to teach not only the 2D part of the game, but also the 3D part of the game. All of the skill that the player learned from 2D platforming, as we know, 2D platformers are, you know, based on skill curves, right? That's kind of the main difficulty curve. But your difficulty curve would be so strange because the skills that your player are building don't translate to the other camera perspective so yeah it's certainly a wacky idea <laughs> it's an interesting idea um, I don't know if it's good but it was really cool that Bastis made a prototype and tested it themselves that's really the only way you know if it's actually good it's a really good strategy to prototype these crazy ideas and see if they actually work because you never know when you're going to strike gold but with this one you I, I don't think this is a hidden gem idea. <laughs> Maybe someone can prove me wrong, but yeah, this would be a very difficult game to make good. But it was an interesting idea, and for that, Bastis wins the episode 67 Game Dev Challenge. For episode 68, we have an art-focused challenge. Today we're going to talk about tips for improving your visual effects, and so I figured what better way to show off our understanding of the tips than to make some visual effects for ourselves. Now we have done visual effect things in the past and they always come out really cool. So yeah, for this challenge, just show off a visual effect that you're working on. Maybe talk about the things that we talk about today and how they helped improve the overall look of the visual effect. A simple recording and maybe a little bit of writing would be a perfect submission. And if you're wondering how to submit, just go on over to the community discord and find the game dev challenge channel and you can submit there with the game dev challenge out of the way let's move on over to the body of the episode today we're going to try a new episode format and this format was picked by the patrons so you'll have them to thank for the innovation 
But anyways, it's called the five tips format. And maybe we can think of more of a creative name for it. But yeah, I got straight to the point. Um, I'm going to give you five practical things that you can do that will improve whatever the topic of the episode is. Today's episode is five tips for better visual effects. So I hope you leave this episode with some things that you can do right away to make better visual effects for your games. Let's get started with the first tip. Tip number one for making better visual effects is learning the fundamental parts of a visual effect. I picked this as number one because I think this is something that everyone can benefit from. When people first start out with making visual effects, I think they just start playing around with their tools until they have something that they think looks cool. This is how I started and what I did for a long time. But when I understood the fundamental parts of visual effects, things got a lot better. So what are the fundamental parts? Well, really, I like to think about it in three steps. Anticipation, climax, and aftermath. Anticipation is where you show something is about to happen. The goal is to build up pressure and tension. You want the player to feel the emotion and excitement and anticipation of, oh, there's something about to happen. Next is the climax. This is where you relieve the pressure and you break the tension in a satisfying and hopefully visually impressive way. I think when people start, they only focus on the climax. And I hope you can see here how the anticipation step helps make the climax all that much better. Lastly, we have the aftermath. This is where you show the results of the climax. The goal of this is to leave some kind of lasting impression. You want the player to reflect on what they just saw and maybe even contextualize it a little bit. As always, I think it may be easier to reference an example, and we can learn more about the three parts through a better example, I think. Let's say we have a laser gun that charges up and shoots a laser beam. I think a lot of people, including me, when I started, would just focus on making the actual beam part and make that part look really cool and just turn it off when you want to shoot, or turn it on and off when you want to shoot, rather. But let's break it down into the three steps and see if we can't come up with a better effect. Step one, we need anticipation. Now this kind of works out naturally with the gun because of course you need to charge up the gun to fire it. But let's actually focus on an interesting visual effect when the weapon is charging. You could make the lights on the gun warm up and glow, maybe have little light particles slowly get sucked into the barrel. Anything to show that the pressure is building in the gun. Next we have the climax, the release of the laser. Maybe a bright flash or a cool muzzle effect, hot glowing gas ejected from the side of the gun, that sort of stuff. Lastly we have the aftermath, a scorch mark where the laser hit, or maybe some kind of glowing ember disintegration effect. Something that leaves the player saying, whoa. Like I said, most people understand the climax part, and I think that's where a lot of people focus their attention. But I think if you include the anticipation and aftermath, you'll be better at making visual effects. Tip number two is making visual effects interactive with their environment. This can be something very subtle, but really helps sell the effect. A lot of times you see effects that feel like they just sort of appear. Like they don't feel like they belong in the world. And the reason I think this is is because they don't interact with the environment that they're in. Interactivity with the environment helps sell the effect and make it a little bit more visually cohesive. I think too that this is something that if you can do a little bit of polish on it, it gives you a lot of bang for your buck. 
Like if you have an explosion effect, one way to really sell it and give it more juice is to make the environmental props react to the explosion effect. Coffee mugs are thrown off the table, windows and furniture break, maybe a scorch mark on the actual ground where the explosion was, little subconscious hints that make the explosion feel like it actually exists in the space. I think the game Overwatch actually has really great examples of this. Go play Overwatch, and right before the match starts, you can kind of just walk around your spawn and use your abilities and see how they're sold in the existing world. If the ability explodes, chances are it will move the props around it as well. It'll leave a cool decal wherever the explosion landed. And yeah, it just does a really great job at being visually cohesive. And it's really satisfying and just looks good. One other simple way of selling an effect that exists in the world is with interactivity using lights. This is just the simple idea of saying light from my effect should interact with the environment. And it's usually as simple as setting up lights that spawn with the effect and making sure that if the effect is glowing, uh, that the environment around it also glows with a similar color. It's a very simple thing to implement, but yeah, it's one of those things that just makes that effect feel that much more cohesive and real looking within the environment. The third tip I have for you for making better visual effects is making use of shaders and animations. Now this may seem obvious to some, but I think it often gets overlooked. Shaders, for instance, work really good for something that I guess I would call passive effects. Like they aren't the main visual effects, but they're great for environmental detail, for instance. Let's imagine a horror sci-fi game where you discover a laboratory with giant test tubes full of strange creatures. And you want the liquid inside the test tube to have a really cool, bubbling, lava lamp, subtle glow effect. Using a shader for this is perfect. And with tools like Unity Shader Graph and maybe a YouTube tutorial for something close to it, pretty much anyone can make something like this. Admittedly, coding the shader by hand would be difficult, but there are lots of tools out there going towards these more flowchart visual graph style shader tools. I mean, off the, off the top of my head, I can think of Unity and Blender that both have it. And yeah, tools like these are super powerful and super good for making these sort of simple environmental effects. Now the other thing I mentioned was animations, and animations kind of go hand in hand with visual effects. You need one to support the other. You can have the most beautiful looking spell effect, but if it comes from a T-Pose character then you know it's really going to lessen the overall visual appeal. And personally I've found that this works more one way than the other, and by that I mean you can sort of cover up a middling or okay animation with a nice visual effect. But I'm not so sure it works well the other way, covering a visual effect with a great animation. That's just from personal experience, and it's probably because I'm a weak animator. So oftentimes I am covering up my animations with nice effects. So yeah, there may be some personal bias in there. Take that with a grain of salt. But it's something to consider. You can maybe cover the weakness of either the animation or the visual effect with the other. Let's move on to tip number four. Tip number four is to use the method or process of layering your effects. This is just the idea of combining multiple effects or visual elements into an overall effect 
to leave you with something a little more interesting. So what do I mean by this? Let's say you're going with a cartoony or anime-style fighting game, and you wanted a satisfying hit effect when someone throws a big punch. Instead of trying to use a single particle system or a single animation or a single just general effect, combine a few different elements so you get something really interesting, and layer them together so you have something visually cohesive. Now there are a few things to look out for here. You may have seen a setting in your VFX tools for additive blending. And this is the idea uh, with overlapping visual effects. The tools are going to try and blend everything together to make it all, you know, fit and look nice. Especially effects with transparency, uh, you're basically going to use additive blending so that you can see through the effect a little bit. Anyways, additive blending will sort of blend all the overlapping colors. But the problem with this that you often see is if you use lots of bright colors, which a lot of beginning VFX artists do, that everything just kind of gets blended into this giant white blob. And yeah, your effect just becomes, one, it doesn't become interesting from a color perspective, but also it doesn't become interesting from a shape perspective, because if all the shapes are similar, then yeah, it just has this amorphous blob shape. So what you should try to do is introduce a lot of contrast, both in the color and shape. Introducing darker colors will not only show up better, but it'll also bring the overall tone of the effect back down away from the all-white flash when using the additive blending. Interesting and contrasting shapes will ensure that the blended effect has defined shapes and isn't just a blobby mess. And one more thing you should consider when layering your effects is that you should be designing these effects in the environment or at least a similar environment that they will be used. Sometimes when you make an effect on its own, it's not going to work so well in the actual game environment. Like you might take all this time to make an effect, uh, maybe just in a sterile white, you know, test environment and then you bring it into a dark cave environment, for instance, and it's way too bright. It doesn't really fit everything else. Or maybe you take that same effect and you take it to the beach where everything's very bright, and suddenly you can't really see it very well because it's too bright. Ideally, you're designing your effects and adjusting them to sort of fit within the environment. So yeah, just keep that in mind when you're starting to design your effects. Okay. On to tip number five, and this is maybe the most important one for beginners. The final tip is to not overdo it with effects. I think it's really easy to start layering all these different things, particle systems and physics and reactive lighting and all this stuff, and eventually it starts to actually obscure the gameplay, which is the opposite of what it's supposed to do. Good effects are used to highlight and accent interesting parts of the gameplay. They're supposed to add juice and flair, but they're not supposed to be the core thing. If you're making a sandwich, for instance, good effects are the extras. It's the onion, the tomato, the dressing. A visual effect can't be the meat. So when you're making your effects, keep that in mind. You might even have to come up with some clever rendering or opacity tricks, like make the effect less pronounced if it's in between the character and camera, that way the player can see the character clearly. That's a trick I learned from the creator of Super Smash Bros, Masahiro Sakurai. 
In his video titled, Let Your Character Shine, which, by the way, if you haven't checked out his YouTube channel yet, um, it's called Masahiro Sakurai on Creating Games. And he does a bunch of different topics uh, broken down by category. If you go to the playlist on the YouTube channel, find playlist H, which is for effects. And you'll find really good videos that taught me a lot uh, and kind of inspired me for this episode. But yeah, in that video about letting your character shine, Sakurai talks about how, for some of their effects, they make them less pronounced when the effect would otherwise obscure vision of the character. And for that, they just do tiny camera tricks, like if the camera is looking at the character and there's something in the way, they make it less pronounced. They kind of flip the effect so that if you're looking from it one way, uh, it's more pronounced, and if you're looking from it the other, it's less pronounced. And yeah, it's a super simple method, I think, but it's something that is just one of those little tricks from someone who is an absolute master of the art. So keep that in mind. You're going to have to have a few little tricks in your back pocket so that your really awesome visual effects are seen but not obscuring the gameplay. Okay, lastly, I do have a bonus tip for you. Um, VFX is one of those things that's a discipline all in its own. And some people's whole career is just making effects. So it might make sense to just buy some effect packs. Oftentimes they'll be better than anything you can make yourself and with an artistic good eye to see what fits your current art aesthetic and maybe even the interactivity tip we talked about earlier, you can take some really great pre-made effects and effect generation tools and make something that fits your artistic um, aesthetic and visual style. Instead of trying to make those things from scratch, yeah, maybe see if you can fit some effects that you could buy for free or <laughs> buy for free i mean buy or for free um see if you can find some of those things and see if maybe with some tweaking that they could maybe fit your game okay today's episode was a little bit of a quick fire episode um a lot of like information was blasted let's go back over the stuff and just reiterate it and maybe uh crystallize some of these things Tip number one was to learn the basic pieces and fundamentals of visual effects. Remember the three steps, anticipation, climax, and aftermath. Anticipation builds tension, climax relieves the tension, and aftermath lets you know something cool happened and provides closure. Our laser beam gun example included a charging phase, a shooting phase, and a scorch mark phase, for example. Tip number two was to make effects that interact with their environment. An example of this was adding physics to the effect, making your effect move things around it if it explodes, for instance. That way it makes it feel like this effect didn't just pop into the world, but it actually exists and belongs in the world and is really happening. Don't forget to include lights with your effect. Um, that's a really simple way of making the effect blend in and interact with the environment is to make sure it lights up the environment around it. Tip number three was to utilize shaders and animations. These are important building blocks for your visual effects, so make sure you're utilizing them to their full potential. Remember that shader-driven environmental effects are pretty simple but look really good. And with shader graph tools out there, um, well, 
flowchart node-based tools that do shaders like in Blender and Unity, doing effects like this are getting easier and easier with all sorts of easy to understand customizable nodes and tutorials out there. Our example was a bubbling test tube, and I think that's a really good beginner project to maybe learn these tools. Also remember how we talked about how animations and shaders can cover the mistakes of the other. And I personally have had better luck focusing on shaders and effects to cover up animations, but I think it could probably go either way, depending on your skill set. Tip number four was to layer your effects. Building your effect out of multiple animations and particle systems and lights and whatever else is a really good way to build something that looks interesting. Make sure that the additive blending doesn't just make it just a bright white blob though. Have a lot of contrasting shapes and tones so that the overall effect has interesting form and definition. Also remember to build the effects in the environment they will be used. This will help you get the look just right so that it's not too dark or too light. And yeah, just make sure that your final effect fits. And tip number five, which is maybe the most important one, was to not do too much. Remember, the point of an effect is to accent or highlight a piece of the game. You don't want your flashy effect to obscure what's happening in the game, and too much visual clutter will make for a really bad experience. Start by not overdoing it with the effect, and if it's still too much, you may have to try some rendering tricks. You can reference those Sakurai videos um, for stuff like that. Lastly, the bonus tip was to look into pre-built effects and effect generators. There's lots of good tools and pre-made things out there, and sometimes it just makes a lot of sense to buy something like this rather than build it yourself, considering visual effects is a whole career on its own. And there's lots of people out there who have built really great effects ready for you to use. So yeah, with a little bit of investigation and a little bit of tweaking, I think you could get an effect that is pre-built and tweak it so that it fits your visual style. So yeah, you'll have to let me know how you like this new episode format. It's not one that we're going to do every time. I'll probably pepper them in here and there, similar to a genre study. But yeah, I've just been looking up for new formats and new ways to do the information. Because to tell you the truth, um, I have been getting kind of burned out on writing podcast episodes. As you can probably tell, this episode is about a week, maybe two weeks late and yeah, I apologize for that. I Well, one, I got burned out on writing the, the episodes, which is like the main bottleneck. I mean, that's what takes the most time. And two, I've just had a really busy couple of months. And a lot of it is really exciting news. I can't wait to share it with you guys. I'll probably be, um, yeah, I'll be sharing a lot more information on the next main episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. I'll have some really cool stuff to tell you about. But yeah, if you've been listening to this episode and you're like, why is the audio quality or what do I keep hearing in the background? I'm literally recording this in my car. So yeah, (laughs) I've just been, I've been crazy busy. Uh, I haven't found time to write as much podcasts as I maybe should have. And it's easy to find uh, other things to do when I was feeling burnt out uh, on writing the podcast. So we should have two more episodes this year. And uh, yeah, once I announce that, I'll have some some cool stuff to tell you guys about. And I'm hoping that kind of resets my, my burnout meter or whatever we want to call it. 
But yeah, thank you for listening. Um, I hope you're having a good holiday season. And if you liked this style of episode, you'll have to let me know. You can do that on Twitter. I'm at underscore Zaccavelli underscore. I'm also active on the Discord, and there's an open invite link for that in the show notes. And uh, if uh, if you're <laughs> trying to get a message through to me and I'm not answering on those channels, um, you can just show up to a game dev stream and ask in chat. That's like the one place you can probably pin me down that I know I'm going to be doing. So yeah, come uh, follow me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash underscore. And if you catch me during a live stream, I literally cannot run away from the question. <laughs> With that, I'm going to sign off. I have been Zaccavelli currently loitering in a Starbucks parking lot, and I'll see you next time.